going on everybody all you almost canon listeners out there it's me your host with the most nicholas Willard. no 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 applause no applause thank you on tonight's episode of almost canon We are going to talk buried treasure. But not just any buried treasure. You know, I was going to do this episode as a... uh, This was going to be my my second um, 4th of July episode. You know, it was going to come out a week after the 4th, but, eh, you know, whatever. Um, And then some things, you know, I ended up putting out the episode of... uh, the haunting within the Bennington Triangle, because I got the you know they, I talked to to Eric and Bailey about the their uh, the haunted house that they lived in, um, and I had been trying to uh, get them on for a while now, but uh, um, this week, like I said, we're gonna talk buried treasure, and I even have a special guest coming on the show a little later on. We're going to get his opinion on what he thinks of this buried treasure. But before that, let's see what's going on in the world of the unknown. That was my attempt at a X-Files song. Okay. Anyway, world of the unknown. And actually, before we get into that, there is one thing I wanted to, to talk about real quick. You know, another movie that I watched and blah, 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 blah. But um, I don't know why I had never seen this movie. <laughs> I've got my whole life um, hearing about this movie. You know, I, I knew about this movie, but I, I never, never seen it. I never watched it. Um, and I don't know why I had and I totally missed out. Lethal Weapon. I spent the 4th of July, I literally watched Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, actually, I think I only watched uh, 2, 3, and 4 on the 4th, and then I watched the first one the day before, but, you know. Uh, but yeah, Lethal Weapon. So, you know, first first of all, awesome movie. And yes, I know it has Mel Gibson in it, um, but uh, this was way before his freak out. Um, and, you know, he's, he's making a comeback. I mean, he's, he's been in some pretty good movies lately. The daddy's home Christmas movie. We watch that one every year <laughs> he's in now. Oh my God. It's a pretty funny movie, but, uh, but yeah, Mel Gibson's in this. I know, I know some people are probably shaking their heads, but you know, I almost want to say I can almost forgive him. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, lethal weapon. Um, and and this movie pertains to almost canon because the the uh, antagonist within the movie, this mysterious shadow company, you know, in their their heroine ring or 
or whatever they were up. I, I forget exactly what kind of drugs they were pushing, but they were pushing some sort of drug. And this is this is more fact than fiction. You know, they often say that that fact is is stranger than fiction. Well, this is one of those cases. So, you know, uh, the the two cops there, Riggs and I forget uh, Danny Danny Glover's the character's name, but uh, but uh, they were both in the Vietnam War. You know, Vietnam War comes up a lot in this movie. Um, and pertaining to Shadow Company, so during the Vietnam War, the CIA they 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 were kind of operating their own secret war. You know, outside of Vietnam in like Laos and Cambodia, and uh, I think mainly in Laos and um and while they're doing this they created their own their own transport company and they called it uh Air America you know we kind of went over this when we talked to to Sue Hammond who you know with her her war legacy project and and her work with with Agent Orange but uh so I don't you might some people might remember this we kind of went over this the secret war in Laos and, you know, the Hmong and, uh, you know, the, uh, the relationship between, I guess it's not really a relationship, but the Hmong, when they came over to the United States, the, you know, these younger Hmong, uh, men were like dying in their sleep. And then they, they kind of, uh, based, um, nightmare on Elm street off of, off of that, you know? So, but, uh, but to do with lethal weapon, this transport company that the CIA had created was called Air America. And so this is what Shadow Company in Lethal Weapon is based off of. So, you know, it's 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 not a hundred percent clear whether the CIA knowingly helped uh in the heroin smuggling, but I think it's pretty it's pretty much fact that a Hmong general named Vang Pao kind of used this Air America transport company to literally smuggle heroin. And they were, they were flying right in the United, United States and God knows where else. And uh, so the shadow company is kind of based off of this Air America. And I, um, I, th I thought that was interesting. And we do know, you know, the CIA, they're not above uh, slanging drugs to Americans. You know, it, it's like they did that exact thing and it, in the 1980s uh, with crack cocaine and freeway Ricky Ross to support the, the Contras and, you know, Central America it's just a whole nother topic. It's it's that that's a big one. I'm telling you, I, I plan on doing this whole thing on America's war on drugs. Um, it's, it's crazy. You know, it, uh, the CIA and their their mind control experiments in the 50s pretty much started America's fascination with recreational drugs um it it it's it's an amazing topic but that's for another day so i just i just i thought that was interesting i watched this movie and i thought that was interesting this this shadow company and and how it relates to air america and the cia because all these these people within the shadow company within lethal weapon you know they were all like cia agents and blah 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 but i thought that was interesting um now let's move on to our next news topic here 
And this is a story that takes place in Mexico, uh, southern Mexico. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read you this little this little narrative that I I, I wrote up about this article. So, in the late 1600s, a Spanish priest named Francisco Bergoa visited the ruined city of Mitla. So the city of Mitla, it was settled by the Zapotecs as early as 900 BCE. The site had been long since abandoned um, by the time, you know, the Spanish had gotten there and had just fallen into complete ruin. So this guy, this, this Spanish priest, Francisco uh, Bergoa, he would have seen, you know, the intricate stonework and unique mosaics that lined the walls throughout the city. And, and the city of Mitla is is mainly famous for these, you know, these intricate stonework and all this this really fine tile work that, that is done throughout the city. Um, and it also has this 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 very interesting myth about it. Um, so Bergoa, Francisco Bergoa, he recorded in his journal an underground temple with four chambers running off of it, you know, off of the this main uh, temple. One was for worship. One was for the burial of high priests. One for the burial of the kings. And the last was for a stone doorway that was believed to be the entrance to a place called Lyoboa or place of rest, you know, the underworld. Frightened by what they saw, Francisco claims Spanish missionaries blocked off every entrance to the temple and to Lyoboa. But local legend holds that an entrance remains under the altar of a Catholic church built atop the ruins. Uh, now, as in recently, an international team of archaeologists have discovered that an extensive void exists under the altar, you know, this, this central altar of this Catholic church built atop the ruins, uh, which gives evidence that the hidden path to Liboa is truly there. So, so they haven't, they haven't broke ground as, as what I could tell, they hadn't broke ground yet. You know, they had run these, you know, ground penetrating radar and who, who, what, whatever else they use, um, you know, electrical resistivity, who knows, but, uh, they discovered that under this altar, there is an opening that goes down into an even bigger opening. Uh, and this could be this lost temple underneath the city of Mitla. Um, and if this is true, you would imagine that you'd be able to get to this, this giant stone door that, and they believe that this underworld of, uh, Lyoboa is is like um maybe maybe like dried up uh cenotes you know like uh just a a maze of of tunnels that that um 
that the Zapotecs, which which were around before the the Aztecs, um, considered the underworld. So I I thought that was real real that was a real interesting article that I saw. Um, I'm excited to hear more. It, it's it's almost like a real life. I know I talked about Indiana Jones last time, but it's almost like a real life Indiana Jones story going on, and it'd be really cool to go there and and be a part of this expedition into Lyoboa. But uh, so we will get into our main topic right after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, what is going on? It is me, Nicholas Willard, and I am here. And I just want to say once again that we need your ratings and reviews. Uh, especially on an Apple podcast. Um, I say it every time, but for some reason, Apple podcasts, it gets the most, you know, it's the most important of these. I don't, I don't even know what they're called. Pod catchers or streaming services for your ears. Uh, so, so please rate and review the show. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Even pause the show right now. Go into to uh apple podcast or uh spotify or whatever soundcloud i don't know i don't even know that's a thing but uh whatever you, you're listening to and just give us a five-star rating real real quick just real quick boom 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 just like that quick and um that's really all i gotta say give us a review we can't grow without you we really need your help We've gotten a couple more reviews, but, you know, between the amount of listeners we get and the amount of reviews we get, it's like, like, come on, something's got to give here, people. I can't do this all on my own, and we really need your help to make this show bigger and better. Um, here, here's, a, here's a quick little look behind the scenes, and I'll, I'll be real quick with this because it's, it's, it's quite boring. So, you know, I spend all week... Uh, between episodes, editing the last episode, and then um, researching the next episode. And I, I'm doing this all by myself. My wife, she's sick of it. <laughs> she, you know, I, I'm spending too much time on my phone doing, working on the podcast, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you want to make my marriage easier and my wife happier, then either Join Almost Canon Plus uh, or rate and review the show. Uh, and by rating and reviewing the show, it makes it easier to find, which makes more listeners out to listen to the show, uh, which would hopefully give us more Almost Canon Plus subscriptions. And with those subscriptions, I can then go ahead and use... Uh, you know, research guides such as study.com, which is a great uh, resource for researching, except you got to pay for it. <laughs> you know, they have a paywall. They have, they, it's, it's, you can, you can use it, but you can only read like half a page worth of information before you have to pay for the rest of it. Um, uh, You know, of course, like they can't make it easy, but, but, Study.com is a great place to find 
you know, the facts, the truth. And another one that I've noticed is newspapers.com. On all you have to do is type in, um, you know, this the topic you're looking up. So, like for today today's episode, I type in, or I type in like buried treasure in Virginia, and then all these news articles through since they first recorded news, I guess, um, here in the United States in Virginia would pop up, and I could click on those articles, and you know I could find names and dates and you know all this good stuff. And then I can take that, put it in my my own research and share it with you guys. And it's just so much easier than going from website to website to website to website. And then in the end, having to having to go on Wikipedia real fast and and copy and paste some some stupid bullshit. Oh, I mean, uh, some stupid crap. But, uh, you know, I, I hate going on Wikipedia. Sometimes I have to do it. You know, what are you going to do? I run out of time. I'm a one man show. Uh. But yeah, the more listen, uh, the more, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more likely it is that we'll get more almost Canon Plus subscriptions, which will help us pay for better equipment, better research uh, guides, and all this good stuff. But yeah, that's really all I had to say. So don't forget, pause what you're doing, go rate and review the show, and and also don't forget that for the next uh, 45 ratings and reviews we get, they get a free sticker, an almost canon sticker, you know, just rate and review the show, get a hold of me, and I'll mail it out to you. So, all right, that's enough of that. Let's get back to the show. All right. So today on Almost Canon, we're going to talk the Beale ciphers in Thomas Jefferson Beale's buried treasure. All right. So the background behind this story of lost treasure. I'll I'll just get into it real right right now. We're going to jump head first into this. All right, you ready? All right. So after leaving Fincastle, Virginia in the summer of 1817, Thomas Jefferson Beale. His name's Thomas Jefferson Beale. I mean, that's a pretty crazy name, right? Uh, his parents must have loved Thomas Jefferson. Anyway, Thomas Jefferson Beale and 30 others, they had set off with the hopes of hunting buffalo and grizzlies out in the frontier. So this is back, um, well, this would be, let's see. Yeah, so this is after... Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark was uh 1804, 1805. Um and and we're talking 1817. So so Thomas Jefferson Beale and 30 other men, they're going out to the frontier to hunt buffaloes and grizzly bears. A year into their hunt, the explorer found himself 2 miles outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. In a ravine to the north, preparing supper, you know, preparing food for everyone. Uh, that was when a few men noticed something shining from the rocks, which would turn out to be gold. The hunting party would retrieve the gold and then transport it back to Virginia in two different wagon trains. 
They would bury the gold in the mountains of Bedford County. Thomas Beale would then leave an iron strongbox with clues on where the treasure was located with his friend uh, and innkeeper of the Washington Hotel in Lynchburg, Robert Morris. Thomas Jefferson Beale would then disappear back into the wilderness. Two months after this, Robert Morris received a letter from Beale postmarked May 9th and sent from an up-and-coming trading post called St. Louis. Uh, the letter explained that the iron lockbox contained several papers that, that would be, and I quote, unintelligible without the aid of a key, um, unquote. But that key had been left in the hands of a friend back in St. Louis. Uh, Beale goes on to say that this, this second friend had been instructed to keep the key safe for 10 years. And then if Thomas uh, had not returned by then, he was to mail this key to Robert in this, you know, around the summer of 1832. Uh, Beale, Thomas Jefferson Beale would never return. He and his remaining party is believed to be either killed by renegade Indians um, or just dispersed. Or, you know, he, Tom, Thomas Jefferson Beale could have fell sick. You know, you know, who knows what happened to him? But I, I from what I the research I did and what I found, Renegade Indian seems to be the most popular explanation for why Thomas Jefferson Beale never uh, returned to, to Robert Morris. Um, so Robert Morris would have the lock of the iron box broken in 1845. So he had never received this key either. And. And I mean, I think when I, when when Thomas uh, Beale mentions a key, I think he's talking about both a literal key as well as a key to these unintelligible, you know, whatever's unintelligible within this this box. And and we'll soon get into what that is. Um, so inside the safe, Robert would find two letters addressed to himself some receipts, and a collection of papers covered with strange figures or characters. These three papers would be the ciphers, uh, you know, would be these unintelligible, these things that are unintelligible, you know, mentioned by Beale. The first cipher described the exact location of the treasure. While the second described the treasure's contents and the third cipher named the 30 other men involved as well as their last, you know, their addresses and their heirs. Um, Robert Morris would do nothing with the ciphers for the next decade and a half, unable to make sense, you know, of these random characters. So he just didn't do anything with it. He didn't know what to do with it. Um, but the year before he would pass, Robert gave the box and its contents to a trusted uh, family friend named James Ward, who would work day and night on, on these codes, you know, these coded papers. James Ward was unable to decipher the first or the third cipher, but he would crack the second cipher using a key based on 
the Declaration of Independence. And see, this is why, you know, I this plays into the 4th of July. The Declaration of Independence is the key to this second cipher. Um, and this is how we find out uh, what Thomas Jefferson uh, Beale's treasure is. You know, what 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 its contents is through the second cipher. So when you see the Beale papers, they're made up entirely of numbers. So they're they're numbers uh, spaced out to look like what could be uh, words. Um, and so for paper two, Beale encoded it. So he encoded all these 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 papers with Beale encoded all these papers uh, with a cipher known as a book cipher. He encoded all these papers with something known as a book cipher. Uh, he would number the first letter, and, and this is pertaining to the second cipher, and, and most likely the first and the third as well, obviously just with with a different key. But So he would number the first letter of every word in the Declaration of Independence, creating a coded alphabet resulting in each letter of the actual alphabet having you know, multiple corresponding numbers. Um, questions have been raised over whether ciphers one and three are even actual texts and not just a random and sometimes not even random sequence of letters as in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Uh, but that's really only if you're using the declaration as... Um, the cipher key, you know, people, so they've tried to run ciphers one and three through, through supercomputers and, 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 you know, all these different computer programs, uh, but they're trying to decipher it using the Declaration of Independence. And it's just spitting out these, these, you know, long letters in alphabetical order, which, I mean, if it's not decoded with the Declaration of Independence, then it's obviously not going to come through, uh, the the NSA crypto analysts, you know, these people that work for the NSA that decode all these crazy stuff, uh, they have tried to decode, they have tried to uh, decrypt the code. And they're the ones who have pretty much wrote these computer programs. Uh, but they, they have they found nothing. Um And personally, I would I would believe that it would stand a reason since there are three coded pages, uh, one of which, which is the second one, which used the Declaration of Independence as a key uh, and doesn't seem to fit the other two uh, pages that, you know, maybe maybe the Constitution, you know, particularly the the preamble and maybe, you know, the the the, the first seven articles um or or uh, um, maybe like the Bill of Rights, you know, which would be like the first ten amendments would be used to to have decoded the other two pages. But I I, I think that those have been used, and that they that you know they haven't been able to find anything with those. But you one would think that if they use the Declaration of Independence for the second cipher, 
uh, Cipher 1 and Cipher 3 would also be some sort of other important document. And, you know, people have have used uh, different works of Shakespeare as well as other different, you know, master titles of literary works. And, and you know, I didn't really get a whole lot of examples on, on what else they were used, but people have used some crazy, some crazy keys to figure this out. But, but they obviously haven't figured it out yet. Uh, but personally, I believe since he used the Declaration of Independence as a key for the second one, it would be, you know, ciphers one and three would have to relate somehow to some 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 document that it, that is important to the United States, you know, uh, prior at least prior to 1815 uh or maybe even just a very important international document that that would have served the united states in some in some way at that at that point so cipher 1 some believe uh some of the cipher has been solved or decoded and that the treasure is near a waterfall somewhere somehow somebody figured out that something to do with a waterfall. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe it, but, uh, um, cipher two. So this, we know a lot about cipher two because they've obviously solved it. Um, James Ward solved it. And so I, I got some information on cipher two, uh, quote, this, this is what, what Beale wrote, uh, in cipher two. I have deposited in the County of Bedford about four miles from Buford's, in a vault six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles belonging jointly to the parties whose names are given in number three here within. The first deposit consisted of 1014 pounds of gold and 30, 3812 pounds of silver deposited November 1819. The second was made December 1821 and consisted of 1,907 pounds of gold and 1,288 of silver, also jewels obtained in St. Louis in exchange to save transportation and valued at $13,000. The above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with others. Paper number one describes the exact location of the vault so that no difficulty will be had in finding it. All right, so that... That would equal um so that would equal about two thousand uh nine hundred and eighty-six pounds of gold. And that's estimated, I roughly estimated that at about seventy million dollars. And then in silver, there's fifty one hundred pounds of silver. And I roughly estimated that at one million dollars. And then the thirteen thousand dollars in jewels, I looked that up, and you know that'd be about three hundred thousand um, dollars. I think 
conservatively, most people have estimated the treasure at about $65 million. Um, and that's a hell of a lot of money. So we'll just, we'll talk about Cypher 2 real quick. Uh, so it's a list of what's going on. Um, I think it is kind of weird that at the end of 2, which is the only one that's solved, it specifically states that uh, paper one describes the exact location of the vault, which one would think if you had the key, which uh, um, so if you had the key, one would think that Robert Morris would use, you know, that key to decipher uh, these papers and he would obviously decipher paper one first. So why he would have already known that that cipher one, that paper one. Uh, is an exact location of the treasure. So I don't know. I found that a little weird, but I mean, that's a hell of a lot of treasure. Uh, and while um, Cypher 1 has the exact location, Cypher 2 does say that he has deposited this treasure in Bedford County, Virginia, about four miles from Buford's. Um, and we'll get into that a little a little later, but you know, some people believe Buford's to be a tavern, but there was also a, a village um called Buford's. And they were in two different locations. So that's that you know, it also tells about being buried in this stone vault covered in stones and iron pots and all and all that. But in in within that second cipher, it also states that they made two trips from Santa Fe to this location to bury the treasure. That was, you know, made fairly clear. So Cypher, let's get into Cypher 3. Cypher 3, um, it's unsolved, but it's supposed to be a cipher containing, you know, the names of the 30 other members of this hunting party who helped discover, helped mine this gold and silver Um and it's going to contain their names as well as their heirs' names and their addresses. Uh, and so cipher number three is the shortest cipher of, of the three, I believe. And it has 618, you know, numbers. So most believe that the third cipher is far too short, you know, consisting of only 618 numbers to describe the names of Beale's 30 other partners as well as their heirs and their addresses. Uh, so that would, it would pretty much, it would roughly equal out to 20 characters per person, um, which equals about roughly five to seven words per person. If they're going to, you know, breaking down, doing all the math, that, that comes out to about five to seven words per person, which which is difficult to do. So this this is kind of pointing to, to cipher three being legitimate. So it's thought that these papers, uh, that if they were hoaxed, the hoaxer would make cipher three as long as possible as it would have to deal with, you know, two sets of names as well as their addresses um, and not something as short as it is, you know? So you got to do the first and last name of the party member, first and last name of the heir, you know, their address, whatever their address is, 
you know, and who knows how how many words that takes to, you know. So if it's it's thought that the the hoaxer would would have known this in order to make it more realistic, instead of making it the shortest, they would have made it, you know, maybe the longest. Um, doing all this research and stuff, I came across examples of solved, and I I you you know, uh, finger quotations because they're they're not really solved, but it's someone who who used. The 618 characters of Cypher 3 to pretty much pen out a, um, a believable Cypher. You know, they used the 618 characters they had provided um, and came up with a document that looked like it could have been legit. So, it, you know, uh, Thomas Beale could have used the 618 characters to describe uh, what he was talking about. And so... If you were to use these 618 characters um, to name, you know, the party member, the heir, and their address, as Beale had said, it would involve naming only the last name of the, the individual instead of first and last. It would be the last name of the, the party member, the last name of the heir. And then, you know, instead of writing out the full address of this heir, it would involve naming only the post office of the heir. So only the post office that the heir could be found at, um, you know, instead of their ac actual address, and then grouping all the heirs who can be found at the same post office uh, within the same column. So for the first heir, you would say Beal, Beal, and then, you know, whatever town this post office is in. And then you would line up all the other heirs who use that same post office. But instead of writing the name of the post office, you would write uh, do, you know, D-O, which is, you know, short for ditto. <laughs> you know, I, at first I thought this was a little weird, like ditto. That's something like, you know, like hipsters say say today. But but the word ditto. Um, Let's see, what did I write here? was in use at this time and had been in use for about a hundred years. So, but instead of writing ditto, you would write do. And then when a new um, heir with a different post office would come up, you would, you would put him under the last uh, do. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but, but it seems to work. And, and so $65 million split 31 ways, including Beale, is about two point two million dollars a piece. Um, doing this research, you know, there's people who have been looking for this treasure for a long time. No one has really found anything, but I kept coming across this this one location, um, and it, it's called the Peaks of Otter. And I I kind of found this when I was looking into this this Buford's. So the treasure was supposedly buried. Uh, within four miles of Buford's. And so Buford's was the name of a tavern owned by, by Henry Buford in Bedford, Virginia, which today is along uh, Route 460. All that remains of this, this old tavern is the chimney. Um, and so the treasure would be four miles in any direction. Uh, however, Buford's is also the name of an old village within the Blue Ridge Gap, known today as Montvale. And this, you know, a village is like 
like a very small community um, located within a larger township. Like where I'm from, there's the village, you know, a couple of towns over from me, there's the village of Perkinsville within the town of Weathersfield or the village of Bellows Falls within the town of Rockingham, you know, so. And uh, you can see this, this location known as the Peaks of Otter from Buford's in and from Buford Village. Uh, and so the Peaks of Otter is a collection of mountain peaks in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And those are those are called Sharp Mountain, which is 3,862 feet tall. Uh, Flat Top Mountain, which is 3,994 feet tall. And Harkening Hill, which is 3,372 feet tall. This this area has officially been drawing in tourism since like the 1830s when uh this person, when Polly Wood opened an ordinary, uh, which is like an early tavern, um, which you know drew in all sorts of different people who were coming through the area and then stopping at this tavern. And so these these peaks of otter, you know, this this area that can be seen um, from, from Buford's Inn as well as the little village of Buford. Uh, and so if you're standing at Buford's Inn, you're about 12 miles away. And if you're in Montvale, you're about 17 miles away. So, you know, it's more than four, obviously. But it, it just, I don't know, there's some, you know, doing all this research, there was something about the peaks of Otter that kept gaining my attention and uh you know i, I just want to get into the peaks of otter a, a little more so in 1782 thomas jefferson wrote the height of our mountains has not yet been estimated with any degree of exactness the mountains of the blue ridge and of these the peaks of otter are thought to be of a greater height uh, measured from their base than any other in our country and perhaps in North America. So Thomas Jefferson, he said this before, you know, he was president, obviously. Um, and before Lewis and Clark went out west, so they hadn't seen any of those mountains. And at the time, these peaks of otter were thought to be the tallest mountains in the country. So that automatically put yourself back in this time period. You know, these are thought to be the tallest mountains in the country, you know, the greatest mountains in this country. Um, and that just puts a certain amount of tension on these mountains. And I, I feel like Thomas Jefferson Beale would have known that, and this would have been a great location to bury some kind of treasure. Okay, but uh, so in 1815, Thomas Jefferson wrote to this guy named uh, Alden Partridge, it came opportunely as I was about making inquiries for the height of the White Mountains of uh, New Hampshire, which have the reputation of being the highest in our maritime states and proposed shortly to measure geometrically the height of the peaks of Otter, which I suppose uh, the highest from their base of any on the east side of the Mississippi 
except the white mountains, and not far short from their height if they are but of 4,885 feet. I will do myself the pleasure of sending you my estimate of the peaks of otter, which I count on undertaking in the course of the next month. So Thomas Jefferson, he's pretty much telling this uh, Alden Partridge guy that, yeah, okay, you know, Mount Washington and the White Mountains, okay, they're taller than, than our mountains here. But these peaks of otter, besides the White Mountains, these peaks of otter, they're, the, they're still the tallest mountains in the country. So he's still putting, you know, a certain amount of importance on these, these peaks of otter. Uh, I, I just, I just find it, I don't know. It's just something about this that, that something in my gut is telling me that um, Thomas Jefferson, and, and not only because this guy's name was Thomas Jefferson Beale, um, and he he sure loved his ciphers. So Thomas Jefferson Beale might not have even have been his name, uh, but uh, Thomas Jefferson, the president, you know, was putting such an importance on these mountains and how grand and great they are. It's just like there would be a landmark, you know, you could not miss, you could not forget. It just seems like a good place to bury a treasure. Um. And, you know, some researchers have taken the phrase about four miles from Buford's as being a code in itself and meaning that um, the, the county line is about four miles from the tavern of Buford's. So take that as you will. All right. So so breaking the code. The CIA and the NSA, they've tried to break the code. You go on their website, and I found most of the, the information I used um, you know, to research this, this topic, I found on the NSA website. They have documents and newspaper articles and all sorts of stuff on their website about the, the Beale ciphers. So, so yeah, the NSA, they, they have two pages of documents that they've compiled that can be viewed on their website. Um, you know, one thing that has been discovered of this this Beale ciphers is that several changes had been made um, between the Declaration of Independence and the the decoded cipher. As there, are, you know, there are several different, you know, printed versions of the Declaration, uh, and it was discovered that that Beale had made six mistakes when encoding his paper. You know, nothing big. They were simple. You know, misspellings like he would he spelled uh, thousands starting with an R, you know, instead of a, a T or or with starting with a U instead of a, a W, you know, that kind of thing. Nothing like ridiculously something that you think you could easily make a, a mistake about. And so people who have dug into this, um, you know, treasure story, they have found that Robert Morris who Beale had given the ciphers to uh, and supposedly ran the Washington Hotel in 1820. Um, and while he did run the, run the Washington Hotel, records show that he didn't start running the hotel until 1823. You know, but this could be a simple oversight or exaggeration. 
Um, you know, maybe he wasn't necessarily running the hotel at the time, but he could have been running the hotel, you know, like some, most, some people, you know, they're maybe like their manager is away and they don't technically own the business or run the business, but they're running the business because they're there every day doing the work that needs to be done to keep the business, you know, up and running. But who knows, you know, I don't I didn't I didn't look into this at all, really, other other than than what I had just just stated. Um, and there was there was one last thing I wanted to cover. I wanted to read this this article that comes out, you know, or a, a little bit of this article that was on the the uh, the NSA website. You know, it, it's titled the Beal Papers. Uh, present presenting details of an alleged burial of gold, silver, and jewels near Goose Creek, uh, Bedford County, Virginia, by Thomas Jefferson Beale and Associates in November 1819 and December December 1821, by George R. Hart Sr. in an attempt to bring up to date and. It, in an attempt to bring up to date all that is known and surmised about the subject. All right, so this paper is, is you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how many pages it is, but it's super long. I'm going to pick it up from, from this certain point here. Uh, but it's pretty much, you know, uh, these guys, two brothers, and they're, they're looking into the treasure. They've, they've gone to to the Washington hotel and they've, 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 they've talked to, uh, uh, Robert Morris while he was alive. Um, and I'm going to pick it up at a certain point in 1898. All right. In 1898, my brother Clayton, uh, became interested in mesmerism and hypnotism. He wondered if this might be the means of securing a lead, finding an excellent subject who gradually drifted into crystal reading. Clayton began questioning him about the alleged treasure, thinking he was by this means uh, securely a worthwhile lead. Clayton asked the writer to sit in on a seance. The result of the sitting will be given in detail near the end of the story. Of course, the writer then, as now, placed no faith in what came forth so ghibly from the mouth of the crystal reader, but like a downing man, we were catching, and a downing man is, you know, like a, someone who uses dowsing rods to, to find water or, or something. We were catching at any straws that night, we were catching at any straws that might float about. And this is really hard to read. It's like photocopied and words are cut off. And so just bear with me. Uh, so when the subject during his trance claimed that he could see not only the alleged buried treasure, but would be able to lead us to it, we determined to test him out. One spring evening in 1899, the writer and his brother departed from Roanoke about 5 o'clock p.m. in the family buggy drawn by the faithful family horse, Old Nell. 
we carried what we believed to be the necessary equipment other than dynamite, with which I would have no part. That equipment included picks, shovels, lanterns, rope, and axe, etc. And with us, of course, was our confident crystal reader that is confident to the ninth degree when he was gazing into the crystal ball. We drove by the Great Lick, a mile to the east of our old homestead, which it was claimed in the colonial days attracted wild animals desiring salt on east through the gap of the Blue Ridge Mountains to the tavern location in the village known in 1819, 1822 as Buford, now Montvale, uh, said tavern supposed to be have visited by Beale and his associates while seeking a place to bury the alleged treasure and the subsequent trip. So this guy, you know, he's done a hell of a lot more research than I have, uh, says that Beale came through um, this town, this village of Buford, uh, stopped at the tavern while searching for, uh, you know, a place to bury his treasure. And I'm telling you right now, this, this, this peaks of otter can, can clearly be seen from Buford. If I was searching for a place to bury treasure, that is where I'd want to go. Uh, darkness had settled over the land as we expected, and which better suited our purpose. Few people were moving about, and the faint light of the receding moon afforded opportunity to see objects of any size, which was just what we wanted. Driving across the railroad track in the direction of the Peaks of Otter, we stopped on reaching a clump of bushes and many trees about a mile up Goose Creek. My brother and the subject alighted. Uh, the subject was hypnotized and they started off along Goose Creek. I followed in the buggy. The trail led towards a gap in the mountains that would, if followed, take one over into Botort County. This next part's hard to read. They they photocopied some, some numbers over the, the words. Uh, not to be amiss to pause here and explain that in the town of Butchnan, just over the mountain, there lived a quite prominent family of the name of Beale who owned a plantation born, bordering on the James River. Uh, but to resume our narrative, about four miles up Goose Creek, the subject stopped seemed to be taking his bearings, then climbed a rail fence, jumped across a spring branch, ascended a hill, walked over the top and down into a crater-like place covered with old oak trees and many leaves. Halting by the side of a large oak, the subject pointed to the ground at its base and exclaimed, There's the treasure! Can't you see it? Well, had we finally reached the promised land? We did not believe it possible, and yet there was a certain plausibility about the confidence of the subject. So we took stock of our situation and planned our work. 
Lighting another lantern, we placed we placed one on each side of the spot pointed out to us, and while one brother assembled the tools, the other walked up the hilltop, up to the top of the crater-like place, and then down around the spot to judge how much of the light from the lantern might be seen uh, in the neighborhood. Satisfied of our safety from intrusion, we agreed that each brother would dig or shovel for ten minutes, then to be relieved by the other brother. This was to continue until we located the treasure or were satisfied that it did not rest here. In the meantime, the subject was relieved of his trance and he lay down in the leaves, apparently wondering what we were about, but otherwise showing no interest. We diligently set to work digging. After some six hours or more, in the wee small hours of the following morning, we had succeeded in digging a hole approximately six feet in depth uh, and slightly larger than a grave. Our strength was about gone. We were filled with misgivings. And then, when about eight of the ten minutes of my brother's turn had been used, his pick struck a rock that produced a hollow sound. He looked up at me, his eyes flashing the fire of hope, and I, in my own enthusiasm, said, You've played out. Permit me to relieve you now. But no, he replied. Let me finish my allotted time. I love how they're so proper in their in, in their, their wording. Like, let me have finished my allotted time. Like, I'd be like, let me fucking dig this treasure um after a while we succeeded in removing the rock but the hoped for pots of gold and silver were not underneath it now we were let down to relieve our our chagrin the subject was again hypnotized and asked to reveal uh, the whereabouts of the treasure rising on the balls of his feet as if in disgust, he pointed to the left about two feet directly underneath the great oak tree and exclaimed, There it is. You got over too far. Can't you see it? Thereupon, I was completely let down and unwilling to make any further attempt, certainly so far as that trip was concerned. Crestfallen, we wandered our way back home. A week or two later, my brother returned to the spot alone. I refused to accompany him. He provided himself with dynamite, and upon his return home, he informed me that he blasted out the old tree and about everything near it, but still no pots of gold, silver, and jewels. Was there anything more that we should and could do? After a short lapse of time, my brother and I held a conference. We re-reviewed all that we had done or attempted to do and tried to map out a plan of future action, if any, we should take. We agreed that we had never heard that a person could transfer to the mind of a hypnotized subject his own beliefs or knowledge and get the subject to repeat them. Yet we wondered if, after all, that there's some more... Uh, more words that are, you know, have a bunch of, uh, you know, all I see is dock, 
ID 65679. And there's something underneath it and I can't read it. But what I can see says near the spot to which the subject led us, nor had he any thought that Beale and his party had gone there uh, while seeking a place to hide their treasure. So why did the subject lead us to that spot? We could not then, nor do we now, find any satisfactory answer. Like many other questions that flash through one's mind, there seems no way to turn in the hope of getting the mystery cleared up. Subsequent to my visit to the spot pointed out by the subject, I gave less and less time to the study of the ciphers. In about 1912, I ceased altogether. Clayton, on the other hand, made many visits to the spot. He continued his interest in the ciphers until his death, September 6th, 1949. So that was just a story, you know, an account written by this guy um, in this huge article that, I don't know, just interests me. They they had used this psychic, you know, to uh, to... To, to try and find the treasure. And that's been done. You hear stories uh, like the story of of Dent's run, you know, the guys that use the psychic to find the treasure, which, you know, which seems like they, the psychic was correct. Uh, and in the case of Dent's run, you know, the FBI had come in and, and you know, uh, dug up all the gold. But, uh, but what, what was this psychic doing? You, I don't know. I wonder if he, if he was just playing him along, or or maybe the treasure was really around there, and or or, or uh, the psychic was half on the trail, you know, like because he seemed like he, you know, it, I don't know. It, this I this might be foolish of me, but it seemed like they were on their way to the peaks of Otter. Um, and I don't know. It's more than four miles. I get that. I understand the cipher says four miles, but this peaks otter. I just can't get it out of my mind that that this this Beale treasure is somewhere on, uh, most likely, Sharp Top Mountain. Um, it just seems it's the most prominent of the mountains. Uh, but but yeah. That that's the the Beale treasure. It's it's never officially been found. No one's ever come forward uh, with finding it. I know they did build an inn um, below the 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 peaks of Otter, and they made a man-made lake there. And who's to say that they didn't discover the treasure? But you know they never came forward. Um, you can still visit this this hotel today. You know, it's called the Peaks of Otter Lodge. It's, you know, it's it's nice. It's historic. It's been, let's see. Ugh, pop-ups. I'm on their page and it's just pop-ups everywhere. Let's see if I can find, they must have a history. It doesn't say when the, the Peaks of Otter, uh, you know, this, this, Peaks of Otter, um, the hell did I call it? It doesn't say when the Peaks of Otter Lodge opened, but it does say the first inn uh, opened in 1834 um, within the Peaks of Otter range. So who knows? Maybe they found it while they were building these, you know, their inns and their lodges. But uh, 
But yeah, this peaks of honor. I can't get it out of my mind. My gut's telling me Jefferson Beal, maybe he wanted to bury it within four miles and just kept going. He was like, these peaks of honor, man. Thomas Jefferson, my namesake. Love these mountains. I'm going to, you know, I, I based my cipher off the Declaration of Independence. Now I'm going to bury my treasure where one of these great, you know, founding fathers, uh, one of these areas where, you know, this great founding father loved. But, but yeah, uh, so that's the Beale ciphers and the Beale buried treasure. And now I'm going to bring on a special guest. It's Adventure Explore Discover. He's got a YouTube channel. You know, he's done a video on the Beale treasure. He's done, I don't, I don't even know. He's done so many videos on lost treasure and folklore and these these folkloric creatures. Um, and he's going to give us a little, you know, his point of view on the Beale treasure. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit with what he had to say. So stay tuned and let's hear from Adventure, Explore, Discover. I don't usually watch YouTube videos. And I was trying to find like some modern day Beale treasure hunters. Um, and I came across this video by Adventure Explore Discover. He's a YouTuber. He goes out. He does videos and all these, you know, invest. I don't know if they're necessarily investigations, but he'll go out. You know, he's in the woods. He's walking around. He's talking about all these crazy legends and um, creatures of folklore and lost treasures and, you know, things like that. And he, he had a video on the Beale treasure. So, I you know, I... I naturally I watched it um, and it, it was good. You know, I, I enjoyed it. So I, I reached out to him and I got him on and he's going to tell us what he thinks about the Beale treasure. You know what his opinions are on the Beale treasure. Uh, and if we're able to get it out of him, maybe he can tell us whether he found the Beale treasure or not. So. Hey, my name is Joshua. I run a YouTube channel called Adventure Explorer Discover, where I talk about history, folklore, and a lot of treasures. But yeah, I guess when I went on, I didn't even notice that you had all these other videos. I don't know what I was looking at. But uh, wow, you got quite a few. Yeah, there's a, a good number of treasure videos, mostly folklore and monsters at the time, at the moment, but a uh, good amount of stuff to you. Yeah, so yeah, the Beale treasure was like um, this guy, Thomas Jefferson Beale. You probably remember all this, but, uh, you know, he went on like a hunting expedition out west. And I guess they found a mine and that they, you know, mined all the gold and, and then brought it back up and buried it for some reason in, in Virginia right. somewhere. And he wrote these ciphers and he gave it to this guy. I forget what the guy's name was. I think it was a uh, Robert Morse. Yeah, yeah, this innkeeper, right? Yeah, see, you you remember most of this. Um, yeah, I had a uh, quick refresher before the uh, <laughs> before this. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty much these ciphers. There are three of them, uh, and they deciphered the second one. One and three are still 
mysteries. So I, I just I just wanted to get your opinion on what on what you thought of this whole this whole thing. Do you think it's real? You know, as is it was it just a ploy to make money? I think it's entirely possible that it's real. As far as like you know, like the the likelihood of it being real, that's that's another question. <clears throat> but you know, if a man goes out west, comes back, and hides a lot of his treasure before he finishes going home, he may uh, he may want to have somebody that he really trusts to actually you know keep it safe in case anything happens to him. Because I think it was him along with twenty or thirty other people that had gone out there, so it wasn't just him that knew about his treasure. You know, it was like you know twenty or thirty other people. Right. So I can see why you'd want to hide it just to keep it safe. And the innkeeper, Robert Morse, I think he actually was a, he had known him for five or 10 years for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though he just handed the ciphers to, you know, some random guy. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's pretty, you know, it's entirely possible that this entire thing is real. Right. Yeah. So it was Robert Morse. Yeah. He gave him the ciphers and he couldn't figure it out. And then, Towards the end of his life, he passed it on to this guy named James Ward, right? Um, and James, I guess, would would decipher the the second one. Um, and I was like digging into it. It seems like the NSA they were really trying to crack this code for a while. I went on their website, and they have like they have so many old files and documents that they've you know uploaded on. But oh yeah, it's almost like they they think it could be real. I mean, and then you hear like. Stories of uh, Dense Run. Have you heard of Dense Run? I have not. Oh, man, you should do something on this. It's a lost Civil War treasure. And these guys, they worked for years, 10 years, trying to find it, right? And mm-hmm. it was on uh, BLM land. And so they got permission, and they're working with BLM. And then they move on to uh, the FBI. Um, and the F- they start working with the FBI. and. And then one day they go up there and they're going to dig it with the FBI. Yeah. And the FBI had dug the previous night, dug up the treasure, took it, and then pretended like there was nothing there, you know, when they when they went back to dig it with these guys. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and there's like a big court case right now. And yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. So the government definitely know about some of these treasures. It's, it's almost like they, they wait for someone to to get close and then they jump in but definitely think it could be real yeah now i actually thought of a i came up with a theory of why it hasn't been solved because a lot of people will say that after uh robert morris gave it to uh ward and he started to sell it for 50 cents a piece right which i think the equivalent was like 10 or 15 dollars nowadays but after he started to sell it you know that's kind of like a lot of people that's a red flag to a lot of people saying that, oh, well, this was all just a trick to get, you know, get rich quick. Mm-hmm. But my theory as to why pretty much nobody is going to find this is because Thomas Beale had said he was going to send a key to the ciphers so that way they can be decoded properly. Yep. And, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, well, he wouldn't send them, you know, a copy of the Declaration of Independence because, you know, if that's already the key to one cipher, why use that to the other two? That just mm-hmm. makes it, you know, way too easy. And I think, you know, adding something, you know, like a what was it called? Common sense, the uh, the booklet that was written a while back. 
I don't think even something like that would be used just because it's it's going to be too too accessible to everybody to get to to actually find this. So in my mind, what I would do is send a handwritten personal letter. So that way I make sure that only one person, you know, the person that I approved to find the treasure can actually go out and find it. So that's just a, a theory that he sent a personal letter that may have never gotten to Robert Morris. Right. And with that letter, you know, it's going to look like just a bunch of jumbled numbers, especially if it doesn't go to anything that's, you know, well known. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that make that's, I kind of thought of something around kind of the same. I mean, because it was the Declaration of Independence that they used to uh, decipher the second uh, cipher. And um, so and they they obviously tried that with the, the, the first and the third one. They didn't really, you know, it, it doesn't fit. Obviously, they're getting weird strength right. of numbers and letters. And so it would almost, you know, it almost seems like there would be another, I don't know, important document of some kind uh, that he used to, or may, maybe two other documents that he used, you know, for each each of the three ciphers. But I think that they've tried, uh, you know, like the Bill of Rights and I guess some Shakespeare plays and stuff. They they really reached out into some strange important you know works of of literature and stuff yeah i heard that they had actually uh gotten somewhat of a solution with edgar Allan poe's uh what's it called the gold bug oh yeah the gold bug yep but that was i want to say that was written after the cyphers were mailed in but before you know edgar Allan poe's death so right. it doesn't really line up with you know you can't use a cipher you can't use a book as a cipher if it doesn't exist yet, you know? And uh, the dude's name was, it was Thomas Jefferson Beale. So that, that kind of just automatically makes me think like it's got something to do with the founding of the United States or I don't know. It puts that thought in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a uh, good thought because uh, his name may not have even been Thomas Jefferson Beale. It may have been like a, uh, just a clue for him to what he needs to look for. Right. And there was a part, yeah, this was actually another reason why I contacted you. There was a part in in your video where you had talked about um a, a census that was taken around the, you know, I forget what the year was, 1810 or something like that. And how yeah, that time. how uh they they left some counties out or there wasn't a complete census taken, but that there was only two uh Thomas Beals through the country and one was like in New Hampshire and I forget what the other one was, but yeah, I think it was yeah. New Hampshire, New Hampshire, and uh, Connecticut. Right. There was two Thomas Beals, but in uh, what was it? I think it's a uh, Bedford, Virginia, is where it was. Yeah, there was a uh, a lot of counties that just didn't have a complete census, so it's possible that that was his real name, but that's that's one of those mysteries, you know. Right. Right. And then I also thought of this other thing, and I wanted to run it by you. And I, you might not have any idea. Um, there's this place called the Peaks of Otter. Does this ring any bells? The Peaks of Otter. Yeah, it's like, I guess it's this name, this local name they've given for this mountain called Sharp Top Mountain, and it's visible from 
Buford's, I guess, was the name of the town. It's since been changed to uh, Montvale, I guess, is the you know the new name for the town. But it, it, this this mountain range, it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's view, you know, you can see this mountain from where where they would have been, where this the inn was. And mm-hmm. I know that in the second cipher, it says the treasure is about four miles away. Right and, from Buford's, I think. Right, and I guess that was this the town line or was it the was it the tavern? I don't, I don't know. I kind of getting hung up on that. But uh, this mountain range, this this peaks of otter, it's seventeen miles away, so it, it's quite a few. You know, there's a big difference between four and seventeen. But it, I, I feel like this is a, a landmark that, um, you know, you can see it from from all around. You're not gonna forget. I feel like it would just it'd be a great spot to bury a treasure, especially if you're in the area. Um, but there's there's obviously no mention of it within the cipher, so. Who knows? Right. At least the ones that uh, the one that we have deciphered. Right, right. You could be onto something, and maybe that ends up being solved. And that idea that you have was right, and we just find out with the other ciphers. You know, makes sense. It definitely makes a lot of sense. And I personally haven't heard of it until just now. But I guess what I would do is probably measure how far the county line is at the closest and at the farthest, and see if it is about four miles. You know. Right. Because if it was, then that'd definitely be something to consider. And um do you how many how many treasures ha- like have you looked into, do you know? Off the top of your head? So like the amount of treasures that I've read about, um <laughs> a lot probably around fifty to a hundred, but the ones that I've looked into as far as like trying to solve and locate really just uh, armchair treasure hunts because those are the ones that are the easiest to to really get into right because when it comes with other things like um was it mosby's hidden treasure which is one that's in virginia yep essentially had gone and he recovered some stolen goods that you know the union had taken from the confederacy and as he's going back to his base he and one other guy go take this big loop and hide the treasure between these two large pine trees and they put an X on them and then they go back because they were afraid that they were going to get caught by the union troops. So that's why they hid that. And that kind of stuff, like it gives you like a trail of where he went and the path that he had taken. But you know, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pine trees in Virginia, right? You know, you could narrow down the search area, but it's, it's not nearly as easy as being able to pick up a book, read through it and, you know, work through the majority of the clues at home those are the only ones that i've really looked into actually solving um do you think that this treasure could be a real treasure you know is it really out there the bill ciphers i i definitely think it's a strong possibility because if you're going you know from west to east and you want to make sure that all of your stuff is secure before these other 20 or 30 people know that you've gotten home you know you definitely want to hide it go back home talk to your family, explain, hey, I got, you know, $65 million worth of gold and silver here. We need to move because there's 30 people that know that I have it. Oh, wow. That actually, you yeah. just, I didn't even think of that. I, I kind of just thought that they all traveled together. I didn't even think that that um he was ahead of them. That was a question I kept throwing around in my mind was, why would he alone, you know, out of 30, you know, there's 31 of them and he's the only one that that's knows where this treasure is, you know, I didn't, I didn't even, that thought didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. I mean, 
maybe the story is incomplete. You know, it could be that he stole the treasure from all these other people. Right. And we right. just don't know about that. So that's why he's gone ahead and these people are out here looking for him. That's why he hid it. And that's why he made the cipher. So that way he can make sure only his family and his friends get the treasure instead of everybody. Because when you split, you know, 65 million split 30 ways is still a lot of money. But, you know, 65 million split one way is 65 million. <laughs> right, right. And unfortunately, when it comes to treasure and gold, a lot of people tend to get uh, yeah. really greedy about it. Gold fever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow, I, I didn't even think of that. That's a that's a great thought. Um I see in your videos that you you, you carry a gun with you. Right. Is this cuz you you believe in these stories? Cuz I mean, I do as well and and it just so happens that they are real, you know, I, I want something to at least uh Right. <laughs> yeah, just you don't want to go out there empty-handed kind of thing. But just for the sake of the argument, if everything that folklore has ever said is true then you're only going to hear about you know monsters from Cherokee Nation within Cherokee Nation right. so you're only going to run into those types of things but when it comes to things like a, a spear finger which was like a, a stone clad witch it's, yep. it's different than stone clad itself that's that's a whole separate thing but when it comes to spear finger like she's an individual entity that's been killed off already and when it comes to was it the the Uktena, like the horned serpent, those th I think those things are like legends that basically have been killed off too. And so like a lot of the stuff that you hear from folklore, it's either friendly or it just doesn't exist anymore. But like the reason that I carry a gun is just because I'm out in the wild, and whether it be uh, a rabid raccoon, you know, or a, a coyote or a red wolf, because we do have red wolves, they're just not very many. There's very few of them. But, you know, my idea is like, you'd rather go out there with something you don't need than go out there with, you know, without something you do need. Yeah, that's interesting, too. I never really because I've, I've heard the spear finger uh, story, obviously, and it's, just, it's on TV and stuff, you know, um, but I and, and I've heard the, the, the lore, the legends behind it and how they I, I think they, they shot her in the finger with an arrow and. But I, I never actually thought that, oh, you know, that means, you know, Spearfinger's dead. I, I always just assume that, I guess, if there's one, there's more. I never really thought of that either. So, wow, I'm learning all sorts of new stuff today. Oh, yeah. Like, when you start to read into more of, like, a, like some of the more authentic stories and legends about these things, like, you'll realize that Spearfinger herself was, you know, an individual thing. And then there's the, the cousin of Spearfinger, which was the stone clads. Now, the stone clads were just like a different type of uh, like a rock witch where they're just normal people, but they cover themselves in stone. So that way they can't be hurt. So from my understanding, you know, Spearfinger is like, OK, she came from that group of people, but she separated herself. And that's why she looks and acts different. Right. But huh. the uh, the Ukte Naz, those are things that appear in a lot of different places because there's stories of Sh uh, Shawnee Hunter that had killed one. And there's also stories about Thunderers that had used them as mounts. <laughs> and Thunderers are kind of like, you know, you could just basically call them like Cherokee Thors. You know, that's a very loose translation of like, you know, from Thor to them, but they're Thunder beings that live in the clouds. Right, but you, you said a hunter had killed something. And I was, what was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the stories goes that a Shawnee Hunter was captured by the Cherokee 
And he said, okay, if you want to earn your freedom, then you have to go and you have to kill this Uktena. So he goes and he makes this big circle of pine cones and he lures in the snake. And the snake, it's said to be massive, you know, like 100, 150 feet long. You know, it's just gigantic. Right. right. So he lures it into the center and then he lights all the pine cones on fire and he goes and he attacks it and kills it. Huh. I live in I live in Vermont, uh, hmm? way up north. Um, we have like giant snake stories and stuff like that, but not any anything cool like that. Do you think that's because you know it's kind of swampy down there, and you know you have like uh Oki Finoki. I think that's in Georgia, like near uh Savannah, Georgia. If I'm yeah. right, I think I've drove through Georgia a couple times and and been in Oki Finoki, but I don't know this stuff. I just it's interesting. I mean, like I always wonder where where these stories come from and where the truth is. You know, yeah, and, that's why I've started to talk about like folklore on my channel a lot because the interesting thing about it is that you know one that i talk about more often than any other is bigfoot yeah. because you'll hear legends about bigfoot with you know cherokee folklore then you'll hear about them with creek and you know those are two separate tribes those are two different people and they don't even always agree with each other but yet they agree that hey there's this large bipedal hairy man creature out in the woods that eats us mm. Now, there's different stories for the Cherokee as far as like, you know, what the the Jukaloo, what that's what they call it, you know, the yep. Jukaloo, the Bigfoot of their type thing of what he does. But in the majority of the stories, like they're always uh, hostile. Right. You know, they're not things that you want to mess with. And that's one thing that I always found interesting because the Patterson Gimlin film where like you see the Bigfoot walking across and looks back. Like that yep. was done in the '60s, but you know these stories predate the video, and yet those stories are basically confirming. It's like, yeah, those things exist. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think the Creek word that they used for it was uh, was kolowa, and it was translated to to mean gorilla. So oh. even if it was just like a bipedal gorilla, you know, that's something really interesting because there's never been a known primate in North America. Right, right. I could probably ask you a million questions. I like talking about this stuff, so I don't mind. <laughs> All right. There was one thing I noticed going through some of these videos that you had. There's a lot of um, folklore that surrounds like owl people. You know, you have one here, the Lechuza, which I know is Mexico and, you know, southern areas. And then there's one. It was I, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Uh, see here, the owl monsters of Yakima legend. Oh, yeah, the uh, the Tataklea. Yeah, there you go. No. I oh. just pronounce them however I can, because, <laughs> like, some oh. of them, like, they look kind of funny, and, like, you know, you might might come to find out it's not pronounced Tataklea, but Tataklea or whatever, so I just kind of do my best to say them however I can say them. That sounds right. Right, right. But, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting, too, as I was researching them, because there's La Lechuza from Hispanic folklore, then there's the Stikini from Seminole folklore. And uh, that one actually was really interesting because the way that they had found out about the Stikinis was that they had moved over to Oklahoma during the Trail of Tears. And before the Trail of Tears, they never had any stories or any accounts of, you know, these owl monsters. But once they move over to Oklahoma, then they start to see them. So, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, well, if this wasn't just something that was ingrained into their culture, 
why not talk about it before the Trail of Tears? How come after the Trail of Tears, they've gone somewhere and then they start to see these things? Right. You know, that's one of those things that's, that's really interesting because if it, you know, I'm not saying they are real, but if they're not, you know, why didn't they always exist in their storytelling? Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Have you ever, I, I think it's Kentucky. I'm not exactly sure, but have you ever, they have a, a modern folktale about these, um, trying to remember it off the top of my head and it might not be kentucky uh but it was like this guy who was walking through the woods and he finds this old cabin and there's like this old family that lives out there and i i forget exactly how it goes but it you know at, at one point he watches his whole family they all turn into birds um and they just fly away that sounds interesting I, I tried to look it up really quick before i got on but i couldn't i couldn't find it but it's actually it's a really good good story um it's kind of creepy. It's definitely like a modern folktale. Um, but it, I feel like it, it relates to that. I, w- I wish I could remember exactly where it was from. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. There's a lot of uh, stories about just, you know, people turning into, you know, person-bird hybrids. Because, like, even if you step away from the owl, there's the, the raven mockers, which they were Cherokee witches that could just turn into ravens. Right, right. And I think... Let me look through my videos. I'm not sure if I've done another one aside from those that we just mentioned. Um, oh, yeah. I think that actually may be all that I have on my channel as far as, you know, human uh, bird hybrid type things. Definitely weird. Because then you, and then you hear all these stories about how owls are connected to, to aliens and you know, like the the snowy owl. If you see them, then then you're supposedly abducted by aliens at night, or you know, oh, wow. like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I mean, it's just stuff I've heard. But so your uh your podcast, like you just cover like all kinds of unknown things. Yeah, I mean, it originally started off as I had a, I used to have a co-host, uh, and he got a new job, and now he's too busy, but. It used to be he, he he was a skeptic and you know I'd get on we'd look up these crazy stories and I'd I'd try to convince him um that they were real or or could be real or, or there's some truth behind them uh but he he ended up just believing everything that I told him so I kind of went away from that and then oh yeah <laughs> and uh, I just kind of talk I've always ever since I was a little kid I I always was into this weird stuff so yeah I mean conspiracies bigfoot you know crypt different cryptids lost treasures um kind of cover them all yeah sounds good i'll have to uh definitely tune in and check them out as they come out <clears throat> yeah sounds i mean like I, fun. yeah I, I chose i was gonna do the beale cipher for the beale treasure for like a fourth of july episode because it involves the declaration of independence um but then I got, you know, somebody called me about, you know, this picture that they took of a ghost in their house. And I, you know, I talked to him and his his son. But uh, so I ended up doing that for last week or this week, I guess, instead of this this last one. But this will be coming out next week. OK, cool, cool. I mean, I have one personal story if you'd like to hear. It's it's not anything, you know, crazy, but. Oh, yeah, I definitely. My wife about it. And she was like. She's like, that's weird. <laughs> so I'm out on the trail where I do my videos. And this time I wasn't, you know, recording. I was just out there just for a walk. 
So I go back there and I have my headphones in because, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in the area. I've never seen anything other than a deer. And I get to the deepest part of the trail before you start to circle back and head back. And I saw this, this large white thing that was about probably about three feet tall. Cause I know that it was, it was a little bit taller than my waist. So it may have been, you know, three to four feet tall. And I see it at the corner of my eye. And as I look up towards it, I see it dive into the water. Like there's a small lake at the back of this trail. So it dives into the lake and then it just disappears. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, trying to rationalize what I saw. It's like, okay, maybe it was a crane that dove into the water. But if that's the case, where did it go? It's not there anymore. Right. Maybe it was a deer, but why would a deer jump into a lake for no reason? And, you know, you'd hear it running off, too. <clears throat> and I was like, maybe maybe it was some sort of animal. Maybe a swan got loose from some other park or something, and it's over here. But that doesn't make sense because they're not that tall. So for the longest time, I've got no idea what that, that tall white thing is that jumped into the lake and just disappeared. Right. But that's, that's all that I can really describe it as is just because I remember seeing that it was all white. That's the only reason that I actually noticed it. How long ago was this? Probably about a year or two ago. I actually haven't even talked about this on my channel. Just because, like, it's an interesting thing that happened. But, you know, what I've said there is basically the extent of everything I know about it. Right, right. So you haven't, nothing's came to mind since then, or you haven't read or seen anything that, that it could be. I mean, there's, like, some outlandish theories that I have, but it's nothing like... It's like, oh, it's definitely this thing or that thing. But <laughs> you one theory is that. Say again. Do you want to share what they what you think, or I I can so leave the... it out if you want. It's fine. Oh, no, you, you can put it in because it's it's just you know it's all part of the fun, really. Is that so? One thought that I've had is that okay, so you know it's a little bit of a sidetrack. One thought is that you know if Bigfoot's out there, you know, let's say that there are bipedal primates in the woods of North America. Right. You know, some accounts say that they're seven, eight, nine, twelve feet tall. Like they're huge. Yep. And yet, you know, they're so rare. There's so there's so few sightings of them. So if these giant things are out there in the woods, how many other things are out there that we don't see that are smaller, that are just as intelligent, if not more, than a bipedal primate? So I was going through uh through some of the uh, the ideas that I had for different stories. And one of them was a, uh, it was a creature that this photographer had spotted and it was walking on two feet, except it was very small. It was about three feet tall. And this was in, uh, I think he was in Malaysia. I'm, I'm not sure. I may be wrong, but he was off in the middle of, you know, the rainforest, the jungle. And he had spotted this thing. And it's called Homo floriensis, which right. is essentially like a bipedal primate. You know, you could consider it like a miniature Bigfoot. Right. Yeah, the Hobbit people. Yeah, yeah, Hobbit people. So, like, if anybody looks into that, like, you'll find that Homo floriensis is like a species of primate. And, you know, this guy sees it as it walks past him, but he never takes a picture because he was so shocked at what he saw. So if you combine that information with the fact that, okay, maybe there are Bigfoots in North America. Well, if there's Bigfoots, maybe there's, you know, smaller creatures as well, like Homo floriensis that are very elusive. 
So it makes sense that, hey, it would jump into the water to hide because it sees something that it deems as a threat. Right. You know, most creatures, whenever you go in the woods, if you're making noise, they're going to run away from you because they see you as a threat, even if they're bigger than you. Right. So like my my crazy outlandish theory is that, okay, if there's big, Bigfoot's out there, maybe this was, you know, a smaller version of that or even like a juvenile. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I noticed that I saw that you did an episode on the, the puck wedgie. Um, this is yeah. sorry, my kid just ran by the window yelling. I don't I don't know if the mics picked that up or not, but um, oh no, you're good. I didn't hear anything. Um, yeah, the puck wedgie. This is this is definitely a creature that my listeners would be familiar with. Um, I like this story definitely. I've collected several stories. Um, similar, you know, not the same. I like how you you noticed it was white. That that definitely stands out in my mind. Um. I know that the puck wedgie and got like spikes on its back, kind of like a porcupine. So it probably wasn't that, but if, if a puck wedgie is real and I, I, I kind of lean towards they, that they are, I got this whole theory of, of Faye, you know, we, we would know them as Faye. So I want to say that you saw <laughs> some sort of Faye creature, but. Oh yeah. I mean like there's a, the Yunwee Junzi, which are basically kind of like the Cherokee version of puck wedgies, except they don't have spikes in their back. But those are said to be like a, about like one foot tall, like they're up to the height of your knee. But I mean, you know, just because some stories only talk about some things doesn't mean that they saw everything that was out there, you know? Right. Have you looked into um any like local legends about this lake or pond or whatever it was? No, it's actually so small that it doesn't even have a name. It's just a lake that's back there. Like <clears throat> if you tried to swim across it, it may only take you about, I mean, if you're a fast swimmer, maybe like three minutes. <laughs> so oh, it's not like a huge lake. Yeah. But it is like, you know, big enough, a big enough body of water that, you know, animals could use it as a water source. Right. It almost sounds like it'd be some sort of aquatic or or deep dwelling creature with like white. Maybe, maybe it was like white skin or something. I don't know. That's an interesting story. Oh, like, yeah. Good story. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, you know I wish I had an answer to, so I could be like, oh, I, I saw a puck wedgie, you know, or right. or what? But got it on like, camera. Of course, nothing's happened when you were on, you know, had your camera out. Yeah, that that's a sad uh, issue that everybody has. What I notice is that, you know, even when you do see things that are just kind of normal, like what was it? I think I was in the middle of one of those owl videos i think oh yeah with the deer oh yeah the deer just ran by and like had i not been ready and had the camera set up and recording like i would have missed that and you know that's just a deer they right. happen all the time but you know if you try to pull out your phone if you have an iphone like you swipe right to open the camera immediately like by the time you do that the deer is gone right so when it comes to like these other things that are trying to actively avoid you you know you're you're not going to catch them Right. This is this is kind of uh, who knows, this might not have been anything, but we just got like hit by this huge flood, like uh, towns throughout the whole state were completely under like 13 feet of water. And um, mm -hmm. I'm a postal driver and I was driving around and, you know, this helicopter comes in and I swear to God, you know, I looked at it. It was black. There were no markings on it. I was like, oh, my God, it's a black helicopter. I tried to take my phone out, but, you know, by the time I got my camera up and going, I got, like, just the tail end of it. So, 
It is. It's hard, though. When something happens, it is, you know, pe- people are like, why don't you get a picture of it? But it is hard to to get it out and get, you know, get we have phones in our pockets, but it's still hard to get it out in time. Yeah, yeah, nothing's ever fast enough, even if you have like a dedicated camera. If it's not on with your finger on the button, like you're probably not going to get a picture of whatever it is you're looking at, even if it's just, you know, just a helicopter flying by. Right. Yeah. Um, I've shared this story. I don't know if if you want to hear it or not, but I have a story too. Yeah, sure, um, definitely. And I've shared it on the show before, but I was hunting. There's opening day of of white-tailed deer season here in Vermont. It was like November, I don't know, early November. And so I'm going up in this in this plot of land, and I hunt there every year. I've hunted there every year. It's my grandparents' property. And there's only one other guy that I've ever seen up there throughout all the years that I've been up there. And as I'm going up, he's coming down, and he's looking, he's looking afraid. Like he's, he's looking weird. So I ask him, I'm like, you know, what's going on? How's how's the hunting? And he's like, oh, I, I just I had the shit scared out of me. I was sitting behind this rock and this boulder and this bobcat comes out of nowhere and just jumps right over my head and takes off into the into the woods. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, like I, I I've known for a while that there's a bobca- bobcat up there. We've seen it and stuff. And um, I'm like, oh, that's weird. And I, I keep going. He goes down. I go up and. You know, I go up this this big hill and I come to this area that we call the Petty Moan. Used to be owned by this old guy and he would mow it. It used to be a field back in, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and I get to that area and I start hearing this, this weird, hear this weird turkey sound. It sounds like a turkey or some, something trying to imitate a turkey and it, it's almost tur- it's it almost sounds like a turkey. Um and as I get closer it starts getting a little less like a turkey and like something else and I can kind of tell where it's coming from and I'm you know I'm still walking forward uh and when I get even closer it starts turning into a growl and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's these like you hear on like finding Bigfoot you know these tree knocks that you hear everybody talk about and it was like boom 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 and I was like, whoa, what was that? And I stopped and my brother-in-law, he was, you know, really little at the time. He was like 11 years old or something. And he was with me and I told him to stop. Um, and the turkey sound stops and it's these growls. And then this feeling comes over me and I'm like, I'm like, we got to get out of here. You know, some, something's not right. This is something's wrong. I got, we got to go. And it was like, I can't even really describe the feeling. And I had my, you know, I had a 35 Remington loaded. I had my handgun. I gave him a sidearm when we went up and I I was still like, you know, I got to get out of here. And that was it. I mean, I never saw anything, but, but just, just hearing it it was weird. And it was the tree knocks that make me think that maybe it was a Sasquatch. Um, Yeah. Cause like, you know, that's, that's like a, a rhythm that it was doing as if it was like doing Morse code to say, you know, Right, right, yeah. Here, it just started pouring. Here, my kids just came in, so it's gonna get loud. Um, but uh, if you're willing to come back on, I'd like to contact you in the future. Oh yeah, definitely. This is a pretty fun thing. Um, don't get to talk too much about uh all this stuff in detail, but there's a yeah, there's a lot of my channel. 
Yeah. Maybe I mean, we'll go look through some of that. The, uh, the last one I did was on Mosby's Treasure. And like, that's when I started to kind of like improve my audio. So that one probably sounds a little bit better than the other ones that you'll hear. But right. one of my favorites is actually Leon Trabuco's Gold. Oh, so, yeah, that one's kind of far further back because it's a it's an older video that I had done. That one's basically uh, was it sixteen tons of gold? Six tons? Let me see real quick. Oh, yeah, that was, was uh, kind of like that um that dense run I was telling you about. It was like nine tons of gold or something there. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. It's uh it's really interesting and like you know I'm pretty sure like you were talking about earlier like. Yeah, the government's definitely out there looking for stuff. <laughs> right. Because what was it, 16 tons of gold, that'd be like a billion dollars. I right, think right. a little bit over a billion now. Yeah, I mean, they got to fund their black project somehow. Is there any sort of topic that interests you the most that I could maybe do something on and then contact you about or, or just really anything? I mean, anything to do with, you know, uh, I guess mysterious history stuff like there's there's only one video that I've really done that's about history, and that's on Lake Lanier. That's one that a lot of people have found really interesting, um, even people that aren't in Georgia, just because it's got, like, an odd amount of deaths. Right, yep, I, I um, got it. But, like, mysterious history stuff is always interesting. Whenever it comes to folklore, that's always interesting. Treasure, that's always interesting. Right, yeah. Those yeah. are the main but I guess the thing that I know the most about would probably be just Bigfoot because I've heard so much about it and read so much about them. I don't have it on me, but I have like a little book that I started writing down all the different names of different Bigfoots across the the world, really. Right. Because, you know, if it happens, you know, once or twice, it's a coincidence or an accident. But if it happens, you know, 20, 30 times, that's <laughs> that's not an accident. Right. Right. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done... I did an episode on uh, my first episode, actually. It's it's don't listen to it, um, but it was on <laughs> Abe Canyon, uh, and that's really the only Bigfoot related episode I've ever done. But definitely in the pipeline. Yeah, because there's there's a whole lot to uh, talk about, especially uh, when you start looking into people's accounts and things that they say they've heard and seen. What about um? Have you heard of the Dog Man? Yeah, and like as so I was mentioning to somebody on like my biggest video, it's got like half a million views. And somebody had mentioned something about the dog man, and I go on and I tell him, it's like, oh, there's a possibility, kind of like how there's a baboon and a mandrill to the gorilla. Well, the dog man would be kind of similar to a Bigfoot. Right. That's why it's got that snout to it. And they were like, how come everything that, that walks upright has to be some sort of Bigfoot? And I was like, oh, just an idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, big, uh, Dogman's like the new, it's like the new Bigfoot. Everyone, it, it seems to be really popular. Um, I'm trying to get this dude on. He, he, he has like this famous encounter from North Carolina. And then he, uh, he moved to Vermont a while ago and I've been trying to get him on. And he says he's got him on his land and I'm trying to get up there, but I don't know. He's, he's. He's like, oh, I had knee surgery, and he, he he's going back and forth. I haven't been able to get him on yet, but I'm hoping to. Yeah, I've, I've heard those things are the the most hostile things you can run into in the forest. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely um, 
probably get eaten. I would like I don't even I don't even know what I would do if I ran into something like that. But yeah, I'll reach back out at some point. Um I definitely do a lot of historical topics um on the show. So Yeah, and if there's anything like uh unique or specific that you'd want to talk about, um just give me like maybe a week or two in advance to right. do a little bit of research on it in case I'm not familiar with it. Right, right. Happy to talk about more stuff. All right, Just cool. There's a lot of mysteries out there, and uh, you know, nobody really knows the truth about them all. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you want to uh, plug your your page and stuff? I I kind of introduced you before you got on, um, but I didn't tell anyone where they could get a hold of you or anything. So, I think I found your email. Um, in your, I, I don't really. I don't do YouTube very often. I don't, and this was another thing. Like I'd never go on YouTube to watch videos of stuff that I look up and I just randomly did this time. And that's how I found your video. I think in your about section is where I found your email. Yeah. Yeah. I have that, uh, that email is like dedicated just for anybody that does want to reach out because, uh, like, you know, I guess this is probably like aside from, you know, the podcast and the channel, but like when you want to monetize yourself and make sure that, you know, people are able to be like, hey, we'd like to work with you. You want to have a dedicated email for that. Right. And you don't want it to be the same as what you use for your channel, because what people will do is they'll go into that and they'll pretend as though they're from YouTube and they'll say, oh, hey, you've been monetized. Just click this link. And then it gives them access, access to your page and then they steal all your stuff. So like, oh, wow. that's perfectly fine for everybody to access. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of panicking because I was like, oh, wait, I, I got the old one up. So I just had to change that. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I think my email is the same as I have a Gmail. And I don't even really use Gmail either. So it's hard to I'm, I'm not used to it. Um, But it, it's like it's like almost Canon pod at Gmail. So it's pretty much the same. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, do you want to just tell people what your email is? Uh, yeah, sure. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at adventureemailcontact at gmail.com. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely be in touch. Um, thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is uh, definitely a lot of fun. I'll be in touch at some point. Um, All right, cool. Yeah, just uh, email me whenever you uh, have something new or interesting that you want to talk to me about. I'll uh, try to make the time. Right. Like I, I think a couple of weeks ago we did uh I did the Spear of Destiny. Is that something like, you know, a religious relic um slash treasure? Is that, you know, you something you're in, interested in? I that's the spear that was said to have pierced Christ's side when he was on the cross, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I've never really looked into it. I mean, I, I did an episode on it, but it's kind of like a, a historic mystery, you know? Yeah, yeah, because there's that, and then there was like, you know, like the Holy Grail, the Cup of Christ, or whatever, yep. and the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, those big, uh, those big things out there. Yeah. But, yeah, like, for those things, it's like, it's interesting, but like, it feels like it's like so far out of reach, it's like. I'm just going to let that be a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it goes back 2000 years, you know? Yeah. Plus like, what would you do if you found it anyway? <laughs> right. 
yeah, I mean, it was so there. It, there's like three spears supposedly that could be the spear, but who knows? But yeah, I'll reach out at some point and I'll I'll ask you, and you can tell me yay or no, and we'll figure something out for the future at least. All right, that that sounds good. All right, cool. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, it was good talking to you. Yeah, thanks. All right. All right, you have a good one. Yeah. All right, that was adventure, explore, discover. Um, and you know his thoughts on on the Beale treasure, and and he pointed out some things that I never even thought of, like what if Beale stole the treasure first of all, um, or Beale and I think there were you know he had a couple of people with him that helped uh with the wagon. So what if he stole the treasure with these guys and they buried it to keep it safe, um, you know things like that that. I never even really thought of. So it was definitely interesting to talk to him about. Um, kind of, I don't want to say it opened my eyes, but it opened my eyes to some new new theories and thoughts that I had never, never even thought of. But uh, but yeah, that was Adventure, Explore, Discover. He's got a YouTube channel. Um, and, you know, he's got he's got some good videos. And there are quite a few on Tr- Unlost Treasure, if that's your thing. Uh, and a lot of his... his his newer stuff is, is on like folk tales and folk monsters and different creatures. Um, he's definitely got a lot of, a lot of videos, a lot more than I had originally thought. Um, let's see. Yeah. So he's got about a year's worth of videos. I mean, so check them out there. They're not super ridiculously long. There's they're quick. looks like, you know, 10, 20, 20 minutes, five minutes. So check them out. Adventure, explore, discover.